the greatest, I think, thing that I would probably say to everybody listening to this is seize the opportunity. You know, they may not come twice. There have been a couple of opportunities I've passed up. And those, I think if I ask myself, what are my greatest regrets? It's perhaps not taking those opportunities because I didn't think I had all the skills necessary, all the experience necessary. And ultimately, I was very lucky. There is a sense of luck involved, but also I did seize an opportunity that I think perhaps a lot of people would say, mm, I'm not going to do that. It's just, I'm not ready for it yet. I remember being 26. Welcome to the Meaningful Jobs podcast season three. I'm your host, Adrian, and today we're extremely honored to welcome Liz Fent, who is from uh, Tufsuit and is the CMO of Tufsuit, actually. So how are you, Liz? Hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Adrian. And the name Tufsuit is always really hard for everybody to pronounce. <laughs> well, I did a lot of research before uh, mentioning this name, just to make sure you know, don't get it wrong. Um but um, yeah, um, great to have you on the podcast. And, um, you know, knowing that you're the CMO of TubeSuit, obviously, I guess, um, you know, you must be a busy person. And I think a lot of my audience uh, would like to understand a little bit about what a CMO does. So can you tell us, you know, as a CMO of a Fortune you know, 500 company, like what is your role on, on a day-to-day basis? Sure, sure. Also, to give you a little bit of context, I'm actually a very busy person because in addition to my day job, I mm-hmm. also have a uh, private life which consists of two now um, pubescent teenage girls. So oh, that's right. quite a handful itself. I have a dog, which is like almost like having a toddler. That's like your and, third daughter. Um, yes, and a number of hobbies. So I think it's all about oh. managing your time. Mm. So, but anyway, to answer your question, um, what do I do? So I manage a team of approximately 250 people globally. And about five or six years ago, we restructured the whole marketing organization. And that might be of interest to the listeners because we decided to go for something called a hub and spoke approach. So we set up a global marketing team and then we have six regional marketing hubs, which then become the spoke, sorry, the spokes. Um, So we have the global hub, six spokes, um, and we have each of the spoke um regional teams in each of the major markets Mm. and that you know the size of those teams depends on the needs and the setup of the market itself so they can range from anything in the you know between 10 and 12 people in one particular region to 30 in another region so these are quite sizable teams in itself and what's perhaps also interesting is that the central global marketing team is not based in one place Um, due partly in due to the fact that i was living in asia for 15 years So half of the global marketing team is based out of Singapore and the other half of the global marketing team is based out of Munich. And our team um, takes care of many different things. So we're responsible to simplify it for the brand. Um, We're responsible for all of the MarTech, uh, responsible for all of the content and all of the campaigns. Um, So that's sort of in a nutshell, you know, what we do and who we are and how we're set up. So yeah, obviously, two hundred fifty people, a lot of people, you know, in your team. So you know how I guess a lot of people would be wondering how do you, or how on earth do you manage such a big team? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's not an easy question to answer. I think it's it's probably to try and simplify the answer due to you've got to have really good processes, mm-hmm. um, very efficient structures. 
efficient time management on my part, and of course, good people. I mean, I think it starts and ends with good people. Um, and I think the, the we're going to come to that, I think, later is how mm. to select and ensure that you get the right people and the right fit in the team, because ultimately a lot of inefficiency is due to number one, not having the right systems in place, number two, not having the right processes in place, mm. and number three, having sort of issues between people within a team, which can cause a lot of inefficiency, can cause a lot of emotional stress. Um, mm. And, you know, I think if we look at those three areas of people, platform, process, um, and try and ensure that you minimize um, any inefficiencies in that. And for me personally, ensuring that I have a very, very um, efficient way of managing my schedule, excellent assistance to support me on that. And of course, excellent sub team leads. I think in combination all of those things make it something that's not impossible. There are days, I'm honest with you, where I suddenly think, oh my goodness, it feels overwhelming. But a great majority of the time, sort of over 92% of the time, I feel I can manage it well. Well, that's a great number, I think, 92%. Like, not even a lot of, I guess, entry-level people can boast that number, perhaps. Um, you know, perhaps a little bit about yourself. So, you know, obviously you're the CMO of Tufsud, but I think we'd all want to understand you know, how you got into marketing at the first yeah. place? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because given the fact that I have two teenage girls, I'm also at their point in time sort of thinking, how can I support them to find their niche and what they're particularly good at? And I think for the majority of us, including myself, um, and I've spoken to many, many people around the world and asked them this question, how do they end up in the place they are? Mm. It's sort of, you slide into something. It's probably, in my case, not a concerted decision. I didn't wake up one morning and thought, I want to be the CMO of Tufsud. <laughs> but ultimately, through trial and error, you identify things that you're particularly good at and things you're perhaps less good at. And ultimately, it makes sense to focus on your strengths. So, you know, I have on my career path tried things that I thought, oh my goodness, I am not that. And they definitely, you're not going to get to see the best version of me. Um, I was working as a, a financial controller um, after finishing my business degree. And I, you know, within three or four days, I'm like, this is definitely not where I want to see myself. It's not my skill set. And I think ultimately um, I ended up doing marketing because um, I think I'm very able to see the future, which is a bold statement, but I can see constructs and how they will work and i also have a very good sense of what customers need now but more importantly what they will need in the future and i think that's a sort of a sense of creativity that i have and the ability to almost construct future organizational forms that will manage and address those future customer needs that makes me good at what i do i think coupled with the fact that i love leading people i think if you mm. ask me what's my best part of my job it's is the ability to touch in a positive way hopefully people's lives um i guess you know the question would be that you know switching from a financial controller to all of a sudden being a marketer and then you know being able to see the future well you know it takes a lot of practice right so yeah. would you say it's more chance than planning in your part when you made that switch from a finance controller to marketer I think it's it's a combination of a couple of things. I think um, it's definitely the greatest, I think, thing that I would probably say to everybody listening to this is seize the opportunity. You know, they may not come twice. 
there have been a couple of opportunities I've passed up and those I think if I ask myself what are my greatest regrets is perhaps not taking those opportunities because I didn't think I had all the skills necessary all the experience necessary and ultimately I was very lucky there is a sense of luck involved but also I did seize an opportunity that I think perhaps a lot of people would say mm, I'm not going to do that it's just I'm not ready for it yet I remember being 26 and um, I was in my previous company and they were looking for somebody who uh, spoke native English who mm -hmm. also spoke native German and was able to go and front the media. So I have an ability to write well and communicate well. Um, and they just basically thought, oh, who can they ask in the company? Oh, there's that lady Liz downstairs. She's native English. She speaks fluent German. She can write well. We'll go and ask her. And so suddenly I found myself age 26 responsible for international communication in um, the, the company called Agfa, which formerly was a great photo organization. You know, fast forward six weeks, I'm standing in front of 150 media in Las Vegas. And of course, I felt intimidated. Of course, I felt nervous. But, you know, with each of those experiences, you grow. And I think mm. if you don't get yourself out of your comfort zone and can certainly take a decision to go and do new things and reach for something higher, you know, those chances perhaps may not, you know, realize or I say come, come around again. And that was an amazing opportunity. And that really propelled me out of what I was doing into communication and then i was also lucky enough to get another break to move into marketing so it, it sort of eased its way through given the capabilities that i had and then i started building out my marketing skill set because i really felt that i've arrived where i wanted to be i think it's really interesting that you mentioned about how to grab unexpected opportunities because well the first thing to being successful in this is to recognize an opportunity and to avoid those that you know might lead to disaster so you know based on your experience um do you have any advice for people in terms of um how to spot an opportunity that will help you potentially and perhaps avoid opportunities that will harm you yeah i think number one is keep your eyes wide open um i think it's really important to constantly keep you know you keep your opportunistic eye open understand what opportunities may arise within your current organization or outside your current organization so i think keeping your eyes open will be step number one number two is if you see something i think each one of us has a very good intuition i mean ultimately we may not listen to um, that intuition but ultimately i think we have a very great stick sense almost of what is something we would genuinely be interested in doing and then there's this decision of can I realistically get to the point I would need to within, let's say, one to two years to fulfill all the expectations of the role? But I, I really would advise everybody not to take a role simply because it's got a great title or it's got a great salary. I mean, if it's not you and you don't, you know, your intuition tells you it's not for you, I feel that people should listen to their intuition well and not just go after something that might, say, that might sound great on paper but you know, ultimately doesn't resonate with you as a person. And that could be with, you know, it could be the title, it could be the, the role, it could be the company, it could be the place, you know, and I think we've all made mistakes. And I think if you make a mistake, there's nothing wrong with that. Ultimately, we can also see that as a, as a part of growth. I mean, you know, you can't just do everything right. You, I think we all learn more from doing things wrong than doing mm -hmm. things right. And ultimately it's about making a change of course and not beating yourself up over a wrong decision, but saying, okay, be honest with yourself, be honest with that person, you know, in your, you know, your stakeholder and say, listen, it's just not for me. You know, I've tried it. It's not for me. 
um, thank you very much for the opportunity and walk out with your head high, but leave with respect and dignity on both parties. Very well put, I think. And, you know, this might be a bit of a difficult question, but, um, you know, um, I've come across a lot of, um, you know, top corporate people like you who said intuition is very important. But I guess, you know, reasoning is also important at the same time. So how do you balance both? Do you have like um, a set formula or, you know, how do you make these decisions? Yeah, that's, um, I think we all have two parts to ourselves, right? We have a very irrational part, rational, and there's a more emotional. And yeah. the more you understand yourself, and I think each of us has more a sort of tendency to be one or the other. And the more you, I think, do some sort of like say, I mean, there are a lot of tests to understand who you are, what your strengths are. For me, I definitely felt at the beginning of my career, I was more emotional and less rational towards now, you know, I'm pretty senior in my career, more rational. And I know I need to manage mm. the emotional part, but that it helps me that you can dial into that for those wonderful creative, you know, needs that I have. That's still there, but that I actively work on dialing up my rational brain. And so what that means is if I'm taking decisions, I do write down the pros and cons. I do. I do an exercise. I sit down. I don't spend hours and days over it, but I very clearly then know if I've got a list of pros and cons plus coupled with the intuition, I don't think you can go wrong if you do mm. both rational and emotional decision making. So perhaps you know, writing down things might work, even though it might take a lot of time. But I guess, you know, the effort is also very important in thinking out the process. Um, I can just know... interject just one thing that I actively use downtime to think. So, for example, mm. if I cycle to work, I actively think already about, you know, any decisions I would make. For example, shall I, you know, should we acquire that MarTech piece? of stack or not so while i'm doing things like under the shower driving to work cycling to work at the gym you know there were times where the sort of fallow periods where i can actively use my brain to work on something i notice that by the time i've actually arrived at you know the workplace i'm pretty clear-headed as to that list so it doesn't become this exercise where i'm sort of sitting there thinking oh my goodness i'm gonna spend half an hour writing this list it's already there it's about getting it onto paper. So what I would also encourage people to do is to actively use time to really activate your brain and think, you know, not while you're with your family. That's where the family comes first. But times where, you know, the transition times where you can actually use that time more efficiently. So, um, you know, going back a little bit to earlier what you said about, um, you know, having your job in communications, then, you know, switching into marketing. Yeah. So... Um, you know, you mentioned just in a few weeks uh, into your communications job, you had to, you know, face over 150 media, uh, you know, members. So um, how do you handle the pressure, would you say? I think, actually, it's quite similar to writing lists. I, I very much write down what is important and stick to that. I think there's also a tendency for people to get um, anxious and anxiety is sort of that sense of I haven't got a grip on whatever it is. And I've mm. learned now how to manage my emotion um, when it comes to public speaking, um, to stand in front of large audiences, is to be very clear on the message that you want to convey. So, you know, in front of those 150 people, I had about eight key messages and they were the things that I needed to deliver. You know, and also, let's say you get a plethora of questions from those 150 media, ultimately your answers are built around the messages that you want to convey and it's, it's important i think it's important not to get derailed for any part of your life 
if you know what you want and what you're trying to say, to stick to something simple, mm -hmm. also it's easier to understand. I've listened to people who are amazing public speakers and to perhaps those are, who are probably less capable. And those who are good give very clear messages that you walk away remembering rather than so much noise and then it all just gets lost in that sort of buzz. Um, so I think keep it simple, keep it clear. And I think it is important to write those things down. For me, it's a process. It's almost cathartic to write things down. It enables me to center myself. Um, I refer to them. I don't over-prepare. I think another thing that in that case, 150, I think if you over-prepare, you just become more and more and more anxious, but also don't under-prepare. So get that sort of happy medium. Mm. So, um, you know, switching into marketing then, and obviously then, you know, climbing up to the very top, um, do you have any particular, you know, career advice for people who'd like to climb to the top um, or advice for people who might not be suitable, you know, to climb mm -hmm. to the top? I think I'll answer the second part of your question first. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is that there's a general tendency for people to want to be um, a leader of people. And I think my advice would be to be honest with yourself. So there are certain people who definitely have capabilities in leading people, and there are others who have definite capabilities in being expert at the area that they're expert in. And my feeling generally is that this, this sort of world is making people feel that to be a leader is the, the ultimate, and if you don't lead a team, it's somehow of lesser value. I, as a leader myself, don't see you know, that there's lesser value in an individual contributor who's an expert in their particular field. On the contrary, we need so many experts um, and they are imperative in order to make sure things work well. Um, so I think if, you know, that's, that's an important piece. Decide what you genuinely are good at. What is your genuine value contribution? And be honest with yourself um, and ask people. I think if you're not sure, another good piece of advice would be to ask others. And you know, now to your question about how to, to get on your career, I think don't go too fast too soon. I've seen people wanting to move too fast, moving, wanting to move too fast up too soon. Um, and that can lead to also quite a difficult situation in the sense that, you know, some we need experience, we need life lessons in order for us to have a, a sort of an ability to be calmer about certain things. And I think at certain times in your life, perhaps you're not ready to make a jump to suddenly take on 20 people in a management role. You know, start small, identify whether or not that is for you. Um, you know, have one person, two people, three people, grow. I don't mean spend 20 years doing that, but I do think it's important to identify on that, you know, on that pathway, if that's for you. And I think always be honest, say maybe, okay, I've got a small team, but actually I prefer doing work myself and therefore perhaps I should change tack. And again, be honest with the person you're working with for. And there's no there's no shame in changing. And I think it's quite interesting. I think, you know, had I had my life again, I probably would have been far more open to changing more because mm. it's very interesting to explore different areas as well. So, um, you know, after climbing to the top, obviously, um, there comes a lot of pressure as well. Um, how do you keep yourself motivated, you would say, um, to perform at your best at all times? I think um, two things. I think actually three things. Genuinely, I'm a very motivated person. If you are, mm. um, you know, in all areas of my life, whether it's going to the gym, huge amounts mm -hmm. of motivation, 
um, traveling the world, huge amounts of motivation. So I'm genuinely somebody who is a motivated person. I always had a lot of energy and I think that's very helpful, particularly with the amount of demands I have on my time. I think if you wake up in the morning just thinking, I feel so tired, you're not going to get very far because no. you're going to feel that you're not motivating others. Um, I think my team hugely motivates me. I've been incredibly fortunate to have people in my team, many of which have been in my team over five years, 10 years, some have been with me for 17 years, and they really motivate me because together we can achieve something really great. So the team mm. motivates me a lot. Um, I think the purpose of the company that I work for is very motivating. You know, it, it's not, you know, it's a company that is actually established in principle to support the world, right? To ensure mm. that the world is a safer place, a more safe, secure place. And I think that the, the, the principle of what we do is motivating. And last but not least, what really motivates me is change. I absolutely mm. love change. I, I'm not somebody who stands still very well. The <laughs> fact that marketing is changing all the time, customer trends are changing all the time, it doesn't frighten me. I think the mindset is perhaps the most important thing out of everything I've mentioned. If you have the right mindset, which is, you know, growth, change, being agile, you know, thinking, mm. wow, anything that changes is exciting. You can learn something, you can adapt. That I think is ultimately the greatest motivator that I have. So it's good that you touched upon your company a little bit, because my next question is a little bit about, um, you know, what makes your brand stand out? Because in, you know, in this day and age in recruitment, candidates have a lot of choices. So um, why do you think candidates should work for your company? It's really interesting because I ask candidates um, before they start talking about their CV and we go, things, I said, why, why is it that you actually want to work for Tufsud? And most of them do a lot of research, which is good. Um, they're the ones that move forward through the pipeline, by the way. And those that do the research, they then say to me, um, it's because the company does something that they feel aligns to their personal values. So, you know, why should somebody join to suit? I think number one, it's a growing company. It's a company that is in so many different industries. You know, so let's say industry A gets hit by some form of crisis. You know, we're in every other industry as well. So it's a very good place to be in the sense of risk adversity, if that's something that appeals to you. I think second, the fact that, you know, we're all about ensuring the safety of the planet, which is got to be everybody's number one paramount concern right now. If I think mm. if you're honest with ourselves, wake up in the middle of the night, the future of this planet is everybody's first and foremost concern and consideration. And what we have been established to do is to ensure safety of everything, whether it's a semiconductor, um, whether it's a bridge, whether it's an airport, you know, and that is, I think, something that genuinely makes you feel that it aligns with your personal values. And I think thirdly, you know, it's a really interesting company. I've never been in a company where we have so many PhD, masters, MBA, undergraduate degrees. I mean, we have doctors, dentists, scientists, you name it, we have them. And they're very, very interesting individuals. And each one is an expert in their respective field. So I think it's an appealing company if you don't, you know, if you want to get your head deeply into different areas and you can learn a lot of you know, everything you want to really. And then you can move within the company. So for example, if you say, I'm interested in medical technology, we have an entire area dedicated to medical technology. You know, the same for digitalization. We're now building a whole AI hub. So it's something that is very interesting, dynamic and changing the way the world is changing as well. We used to do, you know, clipboard and pen and do tests. Now it's do it done through remote sensors. 
So, you know, the actual technology itself is fascinating and we're definitely sort of at the front of that curve. I think you will ask you will you will like this question because it gives, you know, your brand a chance, you know, to further shine, I think. So, you know, I've wanted to ask that, you know, from a branding perspective, you know, obviously you've got the Fords, um, you've got um the McDonald's, brands that people immediately think of and can sell itself. But, you know, for testing companies like to suit, that's not necessarily a brand that people would immediately think about. So does it yeah. make your job you know, a bit harder, more interesting, um, and, you know, what are the challenges to sell um, or to market a, a testing company? I think um, that is the, the exciting challenge that I have. To be honest with you, it, it certainly makes you work harder in marketing to position a brand such as to suit in actually any brand in a B2B, B2B space. Um, and we thought long and hard about how to do it because ultimately we've tried it all, right? I mean, at the beginning yeah. of my career, okay let's do billboard advertising so you spend x amount of money on a billboard ad and can you actually establish whether or not that's moved the sales dial you can't realistically so we then started thinking about how can we really be very targeted in building our brand amongst the people that we need to build our brand with and that really makes you do your work well you know you have to segment your client base you need to be very targeted in thinking about what works and what makes it really exciting is the fact that we're in so many we're in like 40 plus countries right yeah. and what works in country a does definitely not work in country b so you've got to be smart about not going at it with one size fits all and that i think is mm -hmm. a danger to someone who perhaps has less international exposure mm -hmm. i think the good thing about me is i've had so much international exposure i know that the China market works differently to the Japan market. There isn't an Asian market per se. The American market um, is very different from the UK market. So it's not a language thing or a continent thing. There are definite nuances to each particular market. And you've got to work on identifying how you're going to build your brand in each of those markets. For example, you know, in China, what works really well, which is funny and ironic in a way, is the German beer Oktoberfest. So, you know, there oh, are... Really? Yeah, there are many, many Oktoberfest celebrations in China, right? So, and people love them. So what we do is we sponsor them. We have a table, we invite our, our VIP clients. I mean, that's a really good way to build the relationship, which is a very important piece in terms of determining how to establish your brand in China. That wouldn't work in the US. Um, mm. In the US, we build our brand through different methods. You know, that's where things, for example, like white papers, webinars, email marketing, or trade fairs, specific conferences, speaker slots works particularly well. And conversely, some of those, you know, initiatives don't work well in the China market. So I think it's important to make sure that you, you know, don't over complexify the, the, the topic in terms of having so many different things, having a core set of content, understanding what channels work best, and making sure that your messages are clear. So, you know, for us, for our brand, we said, okay, sustainability is front and center. So mm. our brand proposition, if you look at all of our social media channels, is primarily focused on sustainability. And whether that's pushed out through LinkedIn, through Instagram, or through a trade fair, or through the Oktoberfest, it's consistent messaging played out across different channels. So my answer in brief to your question is, oh my goodness, yes, it's much tougher than if I was a CMO for Ford, but I think it's very rewarding. And I think mm. that's probably why I've been at it for so many years, because you know, you always feel that there's something more that you can learn or improve upon. So I think you touched upon, you know, sustainability and it relates to my next question about, you know, what's the mean, what's the higher meaning 
behind working for Tufsud, do you think? Because, you know, um, perhaps the younger generations like Gen Z, they're not as money focused as before. You know, they care a lot about a company's values. Um, so I think I'd like to understand a little bit in terms of how Tufsud com- um, contributes to the community and what makes it, you know, such a rewarding experience to work for Tufsud. So maybe to just explain what we do to start with, to, I think that's probably the best place to yeah. start this. So we offer um, testing, inspection and certification for pretty much every product you can imagine, um, as small as semiconductor through to, as I mentioned, airport. Um, so the higher value is that we ensure consistent quality and, and consistent safety. So for example, um, we do social audits in places where you know textile um, factories are to ensure that there's proper social accountability as to the work ethics and practices in those specific locations. And that is an important good cause, I think, because I don't think any of us would want to imagine that the clothes that we're wearing have been made by you know children in a sweatshop somewhere. No. So what our role is, is to go in, conduct audits regularly to ensure that the practices are you know, in line with international expectations. And then we have like another example, for example, if your tires for a car are produced in location A, but the car carrossery, the actual body itself is produced in location B, and you can imagine all the smaller parts are all produced everywhere. What we do is we conduct audits to ensure that the tires are consistently manufactured, that the nuts and bolts that go onto the tires are consistently manufactured, et cetera, et cetera. What is the end result of that? safety of your car on the road. So, you know, ultimately, I think this this sense of social safety, social efficacy, actual testing and safety of the thing itself is really important. And secondly, what we look at is the the environmental impact of certain things. So we're very much now exploring things like photovoltaic, wind, um, and partnering these industrial areas for renewables to ensure that we have a more sustainable planet going forward. So I think that the work that we do genuinely adds value to all of us. You know, we all want to feel safe. We all want to ensure that the planet is going to be there for our future generations. So yeah. my feeling is that is definitely a higher value and higher purpose. And then I do think that, as you mentioned, the newer generations, it's also what's in it for them individually. And I feel I've been able to learn a, a lot on this journey within Tursud. I know that I give that on to the others. I think passing it on is important. Yeah. You know, within my team, everybody is allowed and should and encouraged to um, train themselves, learn more, develop their skill sets, you know, attend conferences, attend training. And I think that that personal sense of what's my higher purpose, how do I, how do I improve myself has got to be important for all of us. So I think that coupled mm. with the purpose of the company and developing a higher purpose of self is, is definitely the sweet spot. So just finally, before we end, um, I'd love to understand how you find uh, meaning in the work aside from just a paycheck. So you mentioned about, you know, loving change, um, liking a challenging environments to better yourself. Do you have like a more underlying um, course that makes you, um, that allows you to find such high meaning in life that you enjoy so much what you're doing? Um, I think there are two parts to this. Probably one is more of the corporate part. I mean, the company's been around for 150 years. I've been working for this company for 20 years. So I'm very much part 
of this company's legacy. Mm. And I think that we all perhaps want to establish some form of personal legacy and imprint. And I think for me, I was at the forefront of this company going global. So I was, I was sent out to Asia um, about 18 years ago, and I was very much part of the company's foray into acquiring companies in Asia. And then I was um, given the role of global marketing. So I think we have been a team that has globalized with others, of course, the, the history of this company. So we've actually changed and made a huge impact on it. And me personally, I've been part of that change and that's been really exciting. Um, then the next wave of that change for this company has been the digitalization. And I've also been able to be part of that. You know, marketing mm. is a very digitally focused um, part of this change and the evolution of the company. So I think that this sense of being part of a legacy of an organization has been wonderful. And I think if you ask me personally, I, I touched on it at the beginning. If I look back at the end of my career, it probably will be, yes, lots of amazing projects, but the people and the people I've been able to, you know, touch their lives and, and hopefully made a positive impact to their career and been able to support them to build a meaningful and valuable life has been something that for me has been a higher purpose. And coupled, I think, with specifically, I think about eight years ago, I started focusing on how to support women, started this entire change around the globe effectively with, you know, how can we raise women up to ensure that we have good parity and equity at the leadership levels. And as, you know, one of the few women in the leadership team at Tufsud, I feel it's also my responsibility to advocate for women. And I was part of um, a team who built the Women's Network. And we went in five years from starting the network to over 1,500 women globally. And I think through that network and the work I've done through the network, that's given me huge amounts of higher purpose. You know, mm. I've offered mentoring or we have offered mentoring programs, training programs, networking opportunities. You know, ultimately, I feel that we've been also able through that momentum to positively impact the lives of many women across this organization. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for taking the time um, for this interview. I really enjoyed you know, talking with you about your career, your meaning in life. And, you know, I wish you all the best and, you know, hope to have you soon again. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much.